So welcome back to Talk Plus Water, the podcast for Texas Plus Water, monthly publication of the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment, the Texas Water Resources Institute, and the Texas Water Journal. My name is Todd Votler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water. And today I have a special guest, Lori Olson, who is the executive director of the Texas Land Trust Council. Welcome, Lori. Hello. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So you really are our first uh, person to interview who's not uh, thinking about water 24 hours a day, um, <laughs> which, is, which is good, I think, because it's, <clears throat> that drives you mad slowly doing that. Um, and so I was uh, really happy that you were interested in coming on uh, to talk to us because you represent an organization which is working with landowners across the state of Texas to manage their land in a way that uh, benefits not only wildlife but uh, water. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Texas Land Trust Council. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I've been working with the Texas Land Trust Council since uh, 2011, I guess. I've worked in the field of land conservation for more than 20 years, I'm working with land trusts largely across the country. And in Texas, we have um, over 30 land trusts that are all members of, of my council, and we work together to basically conserve land and water resources across the state of Texas. So the 30 land trusts, are they, are they, you know, each, say, working throughout the state or some of them working in a more specific area? Are they, are they pretty uniformly scattered around the state? What's the, what's the layout? Yeah, so land trusts are basically nonprofit organizations whose mission is in some part or in all land and water conservation. And so they, that takes very many different forms. Some of them do operate statewide. Some of them operate, you know, hyper locally in a small little, you know, river basin or even a creek basin of a, of a, of a stream river. Or they might operate regionally like for the hill country or, um, you know, for the Houston Galveston Bay area, something like that. So there's all kinds of different levels in terms of how they are set up. And that's essentially dictated by how the organization evolves. It's a pretty organic process for, you know, how a land trust forms and, you know, the people that come together to make it happen, basically decide what they want to focus on for, for conservation purposes. And then they, they make that happen. So I would, <clears throat> I'd, I'd imagine that, I mean, I know the answer to this because I used to work with you, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, land trusts kind of vary in size and the, the, you know, the number of staff. And some of them yeah, are absolutely. more or less volunteers who don't get paid and they're, and they're working on that. I mean, tell us a little bit about kind of the, the, the range you see. And, yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, in Texas we have, you know, from the Nature Conservancy, which has, you know, many, you know, dozen staff and is very well equipped um, with resources and, and personnel to 
uh, organization like the Wilbarker Creek Conservation Alliance, which is, you know, pretty small, has only a, a half-time staff person and, and a volunteer board of directors, but pretty much all land trusts are, and, you know, governed by a volunteer board of directors. So those are the people that have come together to guide the organization and um, help it, you know, as it moves forward to the conservation projects and reality. Uh, but the staffing, you know, it ranges. I mean, most of the Land trusts, I'd say, you know, maybe have between one to five staff, um, but there's a few that are on the high end, and, and then a few that are literally all volunteers. So, <clears throat> you you uh, kind of mentioned, for example, la- the uh, Nature Conservancy, and which is a that's an international organization. I mean, it's it's got operations in all sort in you know many countries Absolutely. in the world. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah. And then but. you mentioned another one that was essentially. Uh, you know, a kind of a grassroots local effort to to mm-hmm. conserve in the area. Absolutely. So, I mean, they're, they're very diverse. And, you know, we have, I think, land trust movement as a whole, you know, and there's, you know, about 1,100 land trusts across the United States. I'd say the vast majority of them are very locally grassroots based and focused um, with, you know, a handful to a dozen staff. Um, and then there's a few big national organizations um, like the Conservation Fund and the Trust for Public Land and the Nature Conservancy who obviously operate at a different scale. But I would say the majority of the land trust world, land trust sector, is on that smaller, more grassroots um, level. So uh, how much, uh, in, well, I mean, how many acres, I should say, within Texas do you think land trusts have conserved? Yeah, so land trusts have um, had a hand in conserving over 1.65 million acres in Texas, which is a lot. Um, It's more than the state pumps system of Texas. So we have over 957,000 acres that are in conservation easements, um, which are a tool that land trusts use, um, conservation easements are basically a, a voluntary legal agreement that restricts development rights on a piece of property to keep it um, open, natural, in an agricultural use, and you know, recreation use, whatever, um, wildlife habitat, a variety of different um, things can be done with an easement. But then also over 680,000 acres of simple properties that a lot of these, uh, some of them are owned by the land trust themselves as private preserves, and others are projects that land trusts have had a role in helping to acquire that may have been then transferred to either a state or local or federal uh, park ownership. And I imagine that the the 1.65 million acres uh, that you're talking about, they're probably, in, in general, not just your run-of-the-mill uh, you know, lands that there, many of them are probably lands that have some uh, ecological significance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, each land trust has its own criteria for what it wants to conserve. You know, some land trusts focus on specific ecosystems like the Native Prairies Association of Texas um, or certain types of lands like the Texas Agricultural Land Trust focuses primarily on working landscapes. Um, but then other you know, groups have their own, like, for example, the Hill Country Conservancy, you know, they're a regional land trust, but they have done some um, extensive research into GIS-based prioritization of lands for a variety of natural resource, you know, 
uh, considerations like water recharge and habitat for native species and all kinds of things. So there's there's different groups that are doing this level of, of sort of resource-based planning for where they want to prioritize their conservation lands. Others are looking to acquire lands, you know, near other um, already protected areas to sort of enhance or expand those areas. So there's a variety of different strategies that are used. So <clears throat> there used to be a lot of, uh, <clears throat> I guess, misinformation about conservation easements going around. Uh, I can recall <laughs> from the time I was really active. Uh, and just to kind of talk about some of those, I, I think, you know, some people are under the impression that they have a conservation easement on their property that that the public is now allowed to access their property. Right. Yeah, no, you know, that is definitely a, a mis, misunderstanding. It's, it's not a requirement at all that land under conservation easement be open to the public in any way. Um, it, it does happen sometimes. Certainly sometimes um, people elect to do that, and they could open up a portion of their property maybe for a trail to go through it or perhaps just on certain days under the you know guidance and, and with the um, oversight of land trust personnel to come and take people on guided hikes or something out on a property that might be encumbered by a conservation easement. But in general, by and large, especially in Texas, there is not a lot of public access. But that doesn't mean there's not public benefits. I mean, lands that are conserved are obviously providing, you know, many, many economic and, and ecosystem, you know, benefits for for everybody um, by being there for water resources to, you know, flood mitigation, wildlife habitat, and all these great things. So even though there's no access, there's still a lot of great benefits being provided. Now, there, there are really, I guess, two uh, ways that, two primary ways that people uh, work with a land trust on an easement, I guess one is where the landowner donates the development rights to the land trust, and the other is where the land trust purchases those rights. Can you talk a little bit about those two types of, of easements? Yeah, so I think the the easements are basically, you know, the same. Essentially, a conservation easement is, is a document that is it's, each one is unique, um, uniquely negotiated and uniquely drafted. So, um, but the easements can be, they have a value. So if the landowner is uh, putting a conservation easement on their property, they are essentially giving up development rights in some way, shape or form. And they're doing that permanently. So they're, they're basically reducing the, the development value, if you will, of their property. And so the that it gets when you do a conservation easement, you get an appraisal done to sort of determine what that value is. You would say, okay, here's my value of my property at its highest and best use for what I could develop it as, and that's value A. And then if I place this conservation easement on it with these stated restrictions for development, it's worth value B. And so the difference between those two becomes what the easement is, you know, quote unquote worth. And then that that amount is what you could, as a landowner, use to um, apply for a federal tax deduction. So we have a conservation easement-specific tax deduction at the federal level that allows landowners to deduct that value against their federal income taxes for up to 15 years. So they can have many, many years to sort of utilize the value of that deduction because they typically tend to be very large amounts. And then the purchase of development rights is really more from programs that exist 
largely um, their agricultural use related programs. So there's the, um, the Natural Resource Conservation Service at the federal level has an ag land conservation easement program that provides funds to purchase up to 50% of the value of a um, working lands easement. And typically they look for other natural resource values on those projects as well. And then in Texas, we have the Texas Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Program, which also provides some state funding for the same purpose to essentially help acquire conservation easements on, on important working lands across the state. So there's also some other funding from like forests or working forests and things of that nature. So, um, but most of those programs to purchase are federal and they're, um, require, you know, a land trust partner to apply for those funds, et cetera. So, you know, I often, you know, heard, you know, some comment that, hey, you know, it really makes me nervous about, you know, putting a restriction on my property permanently. And I've always thought, well, you know, people, you know, when they take land that's wildlife habitat or agricultural land, yeah. And they turn an apartment complex or par- parking lot. It's that's permanent. right. It's just <laughs> it's just as permanent. I mean, yes. um, and so I've always kind of been, you know, a little puzzled by the reaction that a you know a permanent development of property of land um, is uh, something that people have a lot more concern about than a permanent conservation of it. Right. And it seems yeah. like it's so hard to to permanently conserve property through the instruments that are available as opposed to develop it. Well, certainly, you know, the instruments that we have, you know, funding is always a limiting factor. But, I mean, the reality is that, you know, if you want to, you know, keep your land open and, and, and make that commitment permanently with a conservation easement, you know, that's a landowner's, you know, right to to choose to do that, just like you said, just like it would be their right to elect to develop an apartment complex on top of the land. I mean, once, you know, when you do that, it's, the land is forever changed. We have, you know, a saying that people say, you know, asphalt is the last crop, you know, like once yeah. you do that, you know, it's, it's a done deal. So I think, you know, it's just about to me, land conservation and conservation easements and what we do, um, you know, they're not for everybody, but it's just one of those tools that's available. And, you know, if you're the right person that wants wants to do that for your, your, you know, your land and your family's, um, you know, property and you want to see that maintained throughout the generations, then, you know, this might be the tool for you. So it's just one of those things. It's not for everybody, but it's a, it's a great option for those people who want to do it. And they can still sell their property, just has the easement on it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the essentially the easement um, stays with the property, you know, in perpetuity, transfers from, you know, from the current owner to future owners. And, you know, the property can be sold. It would just be sold with the easement on it. So, you know, the, the value of that property is encumbered by the restrictions on the easement. So, um, the, you know, the, the value of what you get for it is going to be affected by the easement. And I've kind of noticed that some of the the properties in the hill country, not too far from Austin or San Antonio, that have easements on them, it doesn't end up actually even reducing the value of the property that yeah, much. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in 
you know, I mean, in, in one sense, you know, if, if you have a property that you, you could have built condominiums on it and you put an easement on it, it significantly would reduce the value. And then potentially, you know, obviously you're never going to get that level of value back. But um, the, the, the benefits of putting an easement on your property can be very significant financially as well. And we've actually seen in places where there are areas where there are several easements around. So a lot of times this will happen, like one landowner will do one and they'll talk to their neighbors and they're like, oh, that's great. That's a great thing. I want to do that too. And you'll get sort of this critical mass of easements. And that's happened in some places in the Hill Country, but also out in West Texas um, around Fort Davis and Davis Mountains. And we have seen the property values of those residential areas actually increase because the easements are there and they're permanent. And so those people that go to buy those houses and those properties know that the landscape around them and their view shed is going to be forever protected. So it actually ends up giving a net benefit um, down the line. It also seems like there are some people who really are looking for a small ranch in the hill country that they don't want to develop. They want to you know, hunt out there and they want to spend time with their family out there, retire out there or something. And, and you know, the easement, it doesn't actually represent a real burden to them. It's, it's something that they, they're actually kind of looking to do. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true. The key in terms of doing it and, you know, finding a land trust partner to work with, too, is, is making sure, I mean, land trusts are very cognizant of, you know, making sure that they're doing projects that are, that are going to be valuable from a conservation standpoint, you know, long-term. And so, you know, there might be, you know, size restrictions in terms of like, you would need to have a size of X hundred acres or greater in order to make that work or make it feasible. Um, because, you know, I mean, you wouldn't want to come with a 50 acre ranch yet, for example, um, that would probably not be the best candidate for a conservation easement just because it would be a little bit too small. But I think in general, you know, people that are looking to find Ranch properties, uh, wildlife, man- a lot of people are converting from ag use, like, you know, they were ranching cattle, and they're converting to wildlife management, and so all those are essentially still agricultural uses, and so all of these properties that are, you know, doing whatever they're doing, if the landowner wants to continue maintaining those activities, they could place an easement on their property and essentially keep all of their activities that they're doing exactly the same, and the only thing that's going to happen is they're going to get a financial benefit from placing that easement on the land and restricting the development uh, potential in perpetuity. So it can be a real attractive option for people that, like you said, whose, whose interests already lie in that direction. So it seems to me that land trusts have kind of benefited from, uh, I, I guess, a, a period in which, which it, it, it almost seems like there's less litigation over environmental issues in some respects, because maybe it's, harder to prevail now and that maybe there's and this is just me mm-hmm. thinking out loud and I could be totally wrong um, but it <laughs> seems seems to me that there there maybe is now uh, somewhat of a focus more of a focus try to find ways to for people to work together cooperatively and that land trust may be a big beneficiary of that yeah I think you know private land conservation has definitely expanded you know and the recent years, we have been able to utilize um, farm bill programs and other funds to do a lot more easements on 
on working lands um, across the country. And I think that because of the nature of them, because they are voluntary, because they are on private lands and the lands remain in private ownership, so the government is not taking on the full burden of property ownership and management, um, you know, like they would if they acquired parks, you know, or other conservation lands. Um, the land trust, or in some cases, government entities hold the conservation easements, and they're they're limiting their financial you know outlay to acquire that, but also the management um, costs, and and then it's just a much more cost effective me- method for doing conservation long term and um, on a on a larger scale. You can make your resources and your available funding go much further with conservation easements and the burden on the long-term management for the public entities is much less. So I think from that perspective, it's attractive. And, you know, it's really been, land trust community has really enjoyed um, a lot of bipartisan support over the years for all of our initiatives and for getting our federal tax incentive passed, for doing, um, you know, funding conservation programs like the farm bill and we've so we've enjoyed a lot of success from almost as the owl just because these issues do they resonate with everybody and i think conservation is one of those issues that has always been and hopefully will always be a bipartisan issue that everyone can support our economies you know our water resources our wildlife you know all these things um, are dependent on conservation efforts long term so i think that's why it's such a it's enjoyed such such success well, and that that's a good segue into my next question, which is uh, the Land Trust Council is now, Texas, I, I should say the formal name, I guess, Texas Land Trust Council, uh-huh. is now active during the Texas legislative sessions and does, and I think you make a, at least one trip up to D.C. every year to, mm-hmm. to interact with uh, our members of Congress. And so uh, I'm just, just, Curious, how is that going? Well, it's it's been going well. We started more of an advocacy role uh, back in 2011-2012. Um, um, the land trust community in Texas started to get a little bit more active in terms of just you know reaching out to our elected officials to let them know all of the great things that we're doing in their communities. And one of the the programs that we had. Start, started working on and trying to get funded was the Texas Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Program. And we, that was actually funded by the legislature with, a, with an appropriation for the first time um, in 2015. And then it was funded again in 2017. So, and we're hopeful we'll be approaching them again this coming uh, session in January and, and hoping to get uh, money in that program again. That's been the first real sort of dedicated money for conservation in the state of Texas. And so we have been very excited about that. We've been working to also just to make sure that land conservation is um, a tool that's being um, utilized and that's able to be funded through other programs like the Clean Water um, State Revolving Fund, drinking water, obviously, you know, land conservation and the, you know, in the watershed um, of a drinking water supply is essential to keeping that water quality um, good. And so land trusts have been working on projects in that area and, you know, with all of the recent flooding events that we've experienced, unfortunately, in Texas, land trusts um, have also been kind of getting engaged in 
you know, talking about how land conservation can help to mitigate some of the most damaging, you know, effects of flooding and by, by conserving lands that are, you know, essentially most vulnerable to flooding events and repeat flooding events. So those are a lot of the ways that we're starting to engage, you know, at the federal level, we do engage with all of our land trust colleagues around the country um, on advocacy issues. And so it's been, it's been fun to be part of that as well. And to just advance, you know, all kinds of funding and programmatic issues around land and water conservation. So you, you mentioned uh, how from, I guess, the point of view of recovering from Hurricane Harvey, that land trusts have been active in this debate about, uh, you know, resiliency and, yes. uh, you know, climate change and, and uh, you know, how we prepare for natural disasters. And so in addition to, I guess, uh, you know, flood plain uh, preservation, you know, what do you think are some of the other uh, water-related benefits that land trusts have provided to the state? Well, I mean, yeah, conservation lands definitely have a role in protecting water resources. I mean, as, as the rain falls everywhere, it, it's falling for the most part on some, you know, natural landscape. We do have still, you know, 80 five or so percent of our lands in Texas are, are open, um, agricultural or other open 1D1 lands. So, so those, the, the water is falling on the land and then it, you know, it flows to our sources of drinking water. So the more that we can, you know, capture that water and let it percolate slowly through the ground to our aquifers and into our streams and, and, and lakes and rivers, you know, the, the higher our water quality is and, and the better our ability to capture and hold that rainfall. And that has been shown, you know, scientifically, you know, like prairies are just excellent at, at capturing water and, and putting it into the ground. You know, that those types of things really do help with, with the quantity of the water that we're able to capture. In fact, we've been working on some research over the last couple of months that we're hoping to bring to the legislature this year to show just exactly how much those economic, you know, benefits that are provided by these natural ecosystems that exist in conservation lands and what those economic benefits are for Texas. So we, some of our preliminary numbers, you know, show that we have about 60, over 60 million, you know, per year um, in terms of water quality and quantity benefits. And you know, hundreds of millions in terms of flooding potential, flooding mitigation benefits. So, so that's exciting. Um, we're we're hoping to demonstrate that a little bit better, um, which we hope will lead to even more funding for the good work that we all do. Good, good. So, you, do you have a an agenda for this upcoming session of the Texas Legislature? Well, our agenda is you know is is basically going to be to stay involved um, with the discussions that we anticipate will happen around flooding and flooding mitigation, and also to obviously get more uh, funding for our support for the Texas Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Programs and other conservation opportunities um, that might also emerge around the state. So we, 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 you know, the session is not even begun yet. So our eyes are open and we're working with all of our partners to identify um, all of the opportunities that might exist for us to, uh, to get involved. But, you know, one of our main 
goals this session is going to be to really just try to educate and communicate these economic benefits that we've been developing to the legislature and members of the legislature in order to work on you know building that financial support in the future okay that sounds good and you've got a conference that you do annually why don't you tell us about that when when it's going to be held yeah. and and maybe some more uh of the specifics about it Sure. So, yeah, we do a conference every year. It's called the Texas Land Conservation Conference, and um, it's in it's going to be in its twenty second year, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's a great event. It's a three day event this year in the twenty nineteen. It'll be happening on uh, Wednesday, February twenty second. Uh, Thursday, February 28th, and Friday, March 1st. And it'll be in Austin. It's actually being held at the Hilton at the Austin Airport. So we're going to have lots of, you know, lots of different topics all around land and water conservation issues, um, looking at uh, conservation easements, looking at farm bill programs, looking at how land conservation um, is involved in some in carbon markets, um, looking at using the Clean Water uh, State Revolving Fund, um, looking at funding for conservation, um, looking at fun issues in advocacy for conservation, doing, uh, let's see, what else we have? Oh, yeah, we have, we're going to be talking about um, the water wall and how that impacts um, or would impact and frankly, already does impact conservation of natural resources um, along with Mexico. So, and, and also talking about um, the nexus of conservation with groundwater. So, we, we have a lot of great um, issues um, coming up for this year and every year, frankly. So, yeah, hope that some of your listeners can come and join us. Well, good. So, how, if they want to register, uh, yeah. where should they go? Why don't you tell them that? They should go to Texas Land Conservation Conference. O-R-G. And you can find out all the information there, get lots of information on our detailed agenda and sessions and um, get registered and all kinds of good stuff. So, yeah, that's where you go. That's long. That's a long one. <laughs> TexasLandConservationConference.org. Yep. Okay. It and is. It's no long, but it's it's the name of the thing. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, it's really been good to have you on the podcast with me today. Uh, My you know, pleasure. I've really enjoyed, you know, the the time that uh, I had to work with you on the, the Land Trust Council. And, uh, you know, I always, always just felt like, you know, land trusts are, and the conservation easement movement are, are maybe one of the most important developments in the, in the conservation movement in the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. I really just don't get the, the, the kind of, of uh, uh, what is the term I'm looking for? The coverage that that they they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean I think more and more you know land trusts are trying to get more uh, savvy about getting you know media attention and things like that. But it's it's hard. There's a lot of things going on in the world, and so it is hard always to grab that bandwidth in the media. But you know what we do is so good and so uh, exciting and has so many great, wonderful benefits. I think when people do learn about land trust and land conservation, they get excited about it and get involved because it's just a, a really awesome thing. Like you said, it's it's a key part of the land and water conservation movement in Texas and in the country. And so, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do and it's fun to be a part of it. Good, good. 
Well, Lori Olson, thank you so much for, for being with me today on the podcast. And uh, we look for even more great things from you and from land trusts in the state of Texas. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to, uh, to be on, and I'll look forward to uh, maybe some future engagement down the road. Sounds good. Sounds good.